And so let's be seated as Peter comes and shares with us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, who spoke these words many years ago, who caused by your Spirit these things to be recorded by Matthew, come now and speak into our hearts. Speak powerfully through your Spirit, that your word may live to us, that we may hear it, understand it, and act upon it, and that your image might be formed afresh in us. For we ask it for your name's sake. Amen. Amen. I was very thankful for my wife reminding me yesterday afternoon that I was preaching tonight. I'd completely forgotten. Uh, having been on holiday. And so I sent an email to Paul to say I was preaching this morning in Backwell and I would be happy to give a condensed version of what I preached there tonight and he's happy with that. So there we are. The Sermon on the Mount is a well-loved portion of scripture, not just by Christians, but indeed by many people who admire the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his controversial book, The God Delusion, the strident atheist Richard Dawkins writes, Jesus, if he existed, was surely one of the greatest ethical innovators of history. The Sermon on the Mount is way ahead of its time. His turn-the-other-cheek anticipated Gandhi and Martin Luther King by 2,000 years. Well, that's a good commendation, but the man misses the point. Jesus is not merely giving ethical teaching, a better set of rules to live by. He is talking about his kingdom, and what it means to live under his rule as the great king. And he is talking of the blessing that come to those who live under his rule. And in these beatitudes that were read to us, these words of blessing, we are being encouraged to be a people whose lives reflect the character of Jesus himself who was poor in spirit, though he was the king of kings, who came in meekness. I want us this evening to look particularly at one of these Beatitudes and consider it together. In verse 6 of Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, when Jesus speaks of hunger and thirst here, he's not talking about a casual desire. 
like when we pass a sweet shop and decide, oh, I'd like a bar of chocolate. Some of us have that kind of weakness. Or when our children come to tea and they've no sooner come through the door and the tea is perhaps an hour away when they tell us, I'm hungry. Sorry, it's our grandchildren, not our children. Our children, I'm sure, did that. But our grandchildren. And uh, if you refuse them anything or are slow in providing it, they'll even tell you, I'm starving. But of course they're not. But Jesus is speaking these words in a dry land where often there was not rain, where water was scarce, where harvest sometimes failed and there was famine. And when he speaks of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, people would have understood that he is talking about some great need in the heart, some longing, which is not a small thing, but which preoccupies the whole person. A longing, an overriding longing for righteousness. Give me righteousness or I will die. What is this hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, first it is an overwhelming desire for Christ himself. An overwhelming desire for Christ himself. The scriptures tell us that God is righteous. His whole character is one of righteousness. He does no wrong. He's upright. He's straight. You can depend upon him. But the world in which we live is one filled with unrighteousness, injustice, selfishness, greed, rebellion against God, crookedness. And Jesus came into this world, this crooked world, to show us the righteousness of God, to display the very character of God. He is the Lord our righteousness. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, Jesus has become for us our righteousness, holiness and redemption. And God's righteousness is displayed in the Lord Jesus, especially in his death, which we commemorate this evening as we meet around the Lord's table. For in Jesus' death, God there laid upon his own Son our sin, and it was punished, satisfied there in the death of Christ. God is righteous, he cannot overlook sin. And the righteousness of God is displayed in Christ's death for us, that he bore our sin in his body on the tree. And the righteousness of God is displayed in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, triumphant over death, as God declares, this is my son whom I love. This is my son who is right and good and just and elevated him to his right hand in the heavens. 
since Jesus is the one in whom the righteousness of God is displayed. To long, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for Christ himself. It is to long for him, to long for more of him, to long to be united with him, to know his power and his saving goodness, to know it in greater measure. Give me Christ or I shall die. It is that passion for Christ. But secondly, a hunger and thirst for righteousness is a desire to be like Christ. It is a longing to be like him. I wonder if you remember the Disney film Jungle Book. In it, King Louis, the king of the jungle, sees Mowgli and he sings, I want to be like you. I want to walk like you talk like you. He's seen something in this child which he wants to be, a man-cub. And in a far more wonderful way, we see in the Lord Jesus someone we want to be. We see the image of God perfectly reflected in a man, in a human being all that we were meant to be when God created us, has made an image of God. And when we see the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God touches our hearts, we long to be like him. And we long to be like him in every possible way. We long to think like him, to have the mind of Christ, the wisdom of Christ. We long to walk like him. We long to follow in his steps and to walk as Jesus walked, to live in the way he lived. We long to have that same ability to talk as he talked and to affect the lives of others by bringing God to them. We long for that. We long to be like Jesus in every way. We long to be without sin. We long to be made perfect. We hunger and thirst to be like Christ. Do you sometimes get discouraged with your own progress in the Christian life? When I was a young Christian, I thought it was all so easy. First you became a Christian, and then you were sanctified. Every year you would get more holy, wouldn't you? Every year you'd get more like the Lord Jesus. Till when you reached a grand old age, you'd be almost perfectly like him. And then my wife and I became wardens in an old people's home, a Christian old people's home. And there were some lovely old saints there. And there were some cantankerous old people. And I thought, why is it that they're not more like Christ? And then I had to ask myself, why is it that I'm not more like Christ? We can be discouraged in our own lack of progress in the Christian life. 
But I'm greatly encouraged by a chap named Tim Chester who wrote in his book, You Can Change. He said this, Change may take a lifetime, but it only takes a lifetime. The process of change will come to an end. One day, we will be transformed and perfected and glorified. Not a day goes by, but we feel the burden of our struggle with sin. But it will come to an end. The Mississippi River twists and turns as it makes its way to the sea. At times it flows north, away from the coast. But inextricably and inevitably, its waters reach the sea. Sometimes Christians can flow away from God. But still we move downstream, toward the ocean of his love. God never fails. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. It's good to be discouraged sometimes with our lack of progress. It means we long for more. But we need to go on, following the Lord Jesus, pressing on with that confidence that he who began that good work in us will complete it. That leads me to my final point, and that is this. That Jesus promises that such hunger and thirst will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That longing in their hearts will be satisfied. We long for Christ, for more of Christ, and one day, we shall see him face to face. We shall see him in all the glory of his risen and ascended character as the one who sits at God's right hand. We shall see him, I'm sure, with a fear, reverential fear, but without terror. For we will then be embraced by him and owned by him as those for whom he died and whom he, by his Spirit, has brought safe to glory. And we long to be like Christ and one day we shall be perfectly like him. Again, let me quote from Tim Chester. At present we see Christ's glory by faith in his word. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What perfects us is that full vision of God's glory when faith gives way to sight, when we see the glorious greatness and goodness of God, all desire for sin will evaporate. When we grasp the full extent of God's grace, all our affections will be his forever. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so we press on in seeking, longing to be like Christ, in the knowledge that we will continually fail and fall short, but also in the knowledge 
that the day will come when we will see him and be made like him, saved to sin no more. What a great day that will be. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, they will be satisfied. How hungry are you? Are you starving? May God make us so, for his name's sake.